some ways, beginning a new year is a little bit like going on a trip, beginning a, a trip, a journey somewhere. You know, whenever we, we travel on a trip, whether it's, it's for vacation or f- business or for family-related purposes, what, whatever it, it might be, we often sense, don't we, our, our need for safekeeping in, in a way that we don't usually sense it. We don't normally sense it. We, we think of different dangers that we could face. Weariness and, and weakness on the journey. What about car trouble? Or, or what about maybe animals on the road? There's all, there's all these things that, that could happen that we think about. That's why many of us may have the tradition, a tradition I at least grew up with, and I think probably many of of us here have as well, the the tradition of reading Psalm 121 at the beginning of of a journey, the beginning of a trip, when we're about to travel somewhere. It's it's an appropriate psalm for an occasion like that, isn't it? Because it's a psalm that's, that's all about God's keeping care of His people. Not only that, this psalm itself very likely was written four people who were traveling. You see, Psalm 121 is the second. It's the second psalm of 15 psalms, which are called the Songs of Degrees, or the Songs of Ascents, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And most likely, these psalms were sung as Israelite males made their way to Jerusalem to worship God at one of the three yearly feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, what we know as Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or in-gathering. And, and so these men would, as they traveled on their way to Jerusalem for these feasts, they would sing these psalms, also Psalm 121, as they walked on the way to worship God at Jerusalem. And Psalm 121 was very appropriate, because Jerusalem was a city in the Judean hills. And so, so for many Israelites, it was quite the journey. Just for one example, if you think of the road from, from Jericho to Jerusalem, it was a road that's about 17 miles long, and it involved a climb of about 3,400 feet. You can imagine, children, what a journey like that would, would be like. A journey on foot. It would, have been, it would have been long and tiring. It would have been... Dangerous. We, we, we know there were dangers on that road because Jesus tells us that, that story, doesn't he, of the, the, the Good Samaritan and that, that man who goes on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem and, and as he's going, he's attacked by robbers. There may have been obstacles in the way on the way to Jerusalem. There may have been enemies around the corner. So many things that could make the traveler anxious and fearful. How will I ever get there? What if I don't make it? What about this or, or that obstacle ahead of me? Well, as Christians, as believers, we, we can have the same kind of questions. Also, as we enter a new year. You see, the Christian life is a journey. A journey that begins when you become a Christian. When the Spirit of God awakens you and, and regenerates you and makes you alive so that you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His substitutionary death on the cross just like Pilgrim, you know that story of Pilgrim's Progress from, by John Bunyan. Just like Pilgrim, you begin a journey. You leave, as it were, the city of destruction behind. 
And you begin a journey, a journey of active faith and obedience toward the heavenly Jerusalem, toward your real home, toward that celestial city as Bunyan describes it, whose builder and maker is God. Some of us here today are closer to that place than others. But none of us here are there yet. And it's not an easy journey. There are many hazards, there are many dangers, there are many difficulties along the way. There's our own weakness and sin. There are the sins, the betrayals of others against us. There are spiritual enemies. There are hard providences. And as we think about these things, also also with this new year, we can often feel fear and anxiety welling up inside of us. Maybe that's how you came to church this morning as you looked ahead to this new year and you thought, what if if I don't make it? How How will I ever get there? What about this obstacle I'm facing in my life? Maybe it's a a frightening diagnosis of cancer or dementia or or something else. Maybe it's a difficult relationship. Or maybe it's a, you look around outside, you look at the nation, you see the, the, the increasing hostility toward the church. What if my faith fails? We see our need for help. Help on this difficult journey. And we ask the question, don't we, that the psalmist asks in verse 1 of Psalm 121 as he looks ahead. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where all these, where I'm headed, but there's all these dangers and things in the way. Whence, from where comes my help? That's his question. But then he answers it, doesn't he? He answers it with a beautiful confession of faith in the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So there's his faith, there's his hope. But he's still not there yet. And maybe he trembles as he takes that next step. Maybe you tremble as you take the next step in this year, into this year. Yes, you recognize and you rest. You are seeking to rest by grace and the sovereignty and the power and the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. But you struggle. You, you fear. You, you are anxious. Well, notice, notice what happens in Psalm 121 in verses 3 to 8. The pronouns change. Instead of, instead of I and my, it's thee and thy, or in today's English, you and your. It's as if another person or perhaps a group of people after hearing the, 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 the psalmist, the pilgrim's confession of faith, they, they come alongside and they encourage him as he looks to the Lord. We could call this, this person or this group of people the encourager. And their encouragement centers around this one truth put so plainly in verse 5. The Lord is thy keeper. That's the truth that the psalm repeats over and over and over. In fact, it refers to the Lord's keeping six times altogether. Once in verse 3, once in verse 4, once in verse 5, and then three times in verses 7 to 8. It's not as easy to see in our translation because our translation uses the word preserve in those verses, but it's all the, the same Hebrew word. 
keep, keep, preserve, protect. So the message of this psalm for believers is clear. The Lord is thy keeper. He is your guardian, your protector, the one who watches over you, who who cares for you all along the way. He is the one who will make sure you get to your heavenly home, who will keep you also in 2023. So let's look at Psalm 121. We've looked at the first two verses, and now I wish to focus with you on verses 3 through 8 under the theme, The Lord is Your Keeper. And we'll have three thoughts. First, we will see that the Lord it will keep you every moment. Second, he will keep you unrelentingly. And third, he will keep you fully and forever. Now, maybe you hear those points and you think, well, that sounds a little bit repetitive. And it is. It's repetitive. But it's repetitive because, because the, often that's how Hebrew poetry works. It, it repeats the same thing. But it's, it's not just repetitive. It's, it repeats it, but it builds on it each, each time, each point. And I hope you'll, you'll see that with me as we, as we work through the psalm. So first, the Lord will keep you every moment. This is what Mr. Encourager, as we'll call him, says and emphasizes in verses 3 and 4. He, the Lord, will not suffer or will not allow thy foot to be moved. He that keeps thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. You hear what these verses are telling us? They're they're telling us, congregation, that the Lord will keep his people, not just some of the time, not just occasionally, not just here and and maybe there, but not there. No, he will keep them every moment. It says in verse 3, he will not allow thy foot to be moved. What, What does that mean? Well, you remember, this is a, a pilgrim song, and, and so it's a song for a pilgrimage, for a journey. And, and children, when, when you think of a pilgrim, what do you think of? You think of normally someone walking, especially in those days, they didn't have cars or, or trains or planes. No, when they traveled to Jerusalem they, to worship the Lord, they walked on foot. But what happens, you know what happens when you go on a hike, right, children, and you go on a road, especially, or a path that's maybe uh, gravel or it's got roots and stones poking out of it. You, you sometimes trip. You, you, you sometimes lose your footing. You slip. But what verse 3 is saying is that the Lord will keep. He will watch over. He will guard your every step, the believers every step on their pilgrimage. In Psalm 94 verse 18 puts that his mercy, God's mercy, his covenant, faithfulness, and love will hold you up. It's a picture you see of his constant keeping. You know, some, of you, some of you have, have a child that's not able to, to walk yet, at least not on his own. As a parent, or, or maybe as an older brother or sister, you, you might take the child's hands, right, and, and, and you hold them up as you help him to walk across the room from point A to point B. And when that little one, that little child starts to lose his footing, when he, when he starts to slip, what do you do? You don't let go, do you? you don't, no, you, you hold on to his hand. You, you keep him from falling. I, I, we were just walking as a family the other day on the, on the sidewalk in, in Colders, and there were some slippery spots. And so I, I held the hand of my little girl. And she slipped a couple of times, and, and I held her tight. I didn't let her fall. You don't let 
that child's foot to be moved so that he topples over and he never reaches the goal. That's the idea here. The Lord keeps his people as they travel on their spiritual, their heavenly journey, not just some of the time. No, but all the time. He will not drop them, even even when they stumble. He will not drop them. He will make sure they get there. He keeps their every step. What a comfort that is, isn't isn't it? In all the difficulties we face in our Christian walk, And here it's important to realize what the psalm is not saying. The psalm is not saying that we're going to be immune from every difficulty, that we're going to be immune from troubles and trials, that we're not going to suffer. No, that's not what this psalm is saying. Some people might take it that way. But we know from Scripture that that because we live in in a cursed world, in a broken world, fallen world, we do experience suffering. And and as Christians, especially, we may expect more suffering. Paul says we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so there's going to be rough ground. There's going to be slippery ground. The path is narrow. But what the psalm, and especially this verse, is saying to you, dear Christian pilgrim, here this morning, on this first day of the new year, is this. The Lord is never going to let you slip and go over the edge. He's holding on to you every single moment. So you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be afraid. And you must not turn back. No, because he is your keeper. Keep going, keep progressing then in faith and obedience to him as you journey on to heaven because he's going to keep your every step. You can count on it. But that's not all. He, he not only will keep your every step, he also never, he never takes a break. He never ever gets tired of keeping you. We, we see this in the second half of verse 3 and again in verse 4. And In the Hebrew, there's, there's an important difference between verses 3 and 4 that's hard to bring out in the English. The difference is, is, is this, that the Hebrew negative, so the, the, the not in verse 3 and the neither and nor in verse 4, in verse 4 it's a stronger negative in the Hebrew. And the point I want to bring out with that is simply to emphasize this, that the declaration in verse 3, and it's the point of the psalmist, the, the declaration that he who keeps you will not slumber is not just personal opinion, or a wish. No, it's an objective fact. It's a divinely revealed truth. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The God who keeps you, dear believer, never grows weary of keeping you. It's hard for us to to grasp. But he doesn't. He never grows weary. How could he? He's not just your keeper. He's Israel's keeper. And Israel's keeper never, ever slumbers or sleeps. And notice that behold. Behold at the beginning of verse 4. That means stop. Pay attention. Think about this. Why, why would the psalmist put that there? Well, probably because in those days many of the, the pagan gods of that day was they, 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 had, they needed sleep. You can think of Baal. He was a God who, who needed sleep. Elijah mocks the, the people on Mount Carmel, the, the Baal prophets, in that way, because he was pointing out to them the foolishness of worshiping such a God. And so the psalmist is reminding, reminding the pilgrim, there's no God like this one. This God, the creator God, our covenant-making and our covenant-keeping God, doesn't need sleep. 
The Lord who keeps you, who guards and who protects you, and who guards and protects his, protects his entire church, doesn't sleep, not even, not even for a second. He doesn't doze off. He doesn't take naps. He never needs or takes a rest or a break. He neither faints nor is weary. The everlasting God neither faints nor is weary. And the point from that, the application from that, as we enter another year with all its, with all its anticipated challenges and difficulties, with all its unknowns that we face, is this. He will keep you. He will keep you every moment because he never, ever gets tired. He never sleeps. He never gets tired. He never grows weary of caring and keeping his people. And, and, and why? Why is it that he doesn't? It's not because we are so great. It's because he is so great. It's because his grace is so great. That's why he was Israel's unsleeping keeper. That's why he's the unsleeping keeper of all his people. And that means, congregation, that even our own unworthiness doesn't exclude us. It doesn't exclude us from God's keeping care because it's never been about us. It's always been about him, the unchanging covenant-keeping God. Oh, that's, that doesn't make you careless. No, that doesn't make a believer careless, but it makes him thankful. It makes her humble and zealous in the way of living for this Lord. The Lord will keep you every moment. Isn't this so relevant and encouraging also as we enter into a new year? You see, don't we struggle? Don't we need to hear this? Because don't we struggle so often? Maybe not so often. Maybe some of you struggle only a few times. Maybe. But, but the reality is, the experience of believers is that they struggle so often, even with hard thoughts of God. They wonder, we wonder sometimes, does he really care about his church? We, we fear sometimes that he, he's forgotten us or that he will forget us. We, we're afraid that he's been too busy to care for us, that maybe he's just somewhere else, busy, not interested. We look for help in other places because we don't think God can really be our help. And so that's why, that's why, congregation, as we travel along this journey as Christians, as believers, as pilgrims, we need, we need that encouragement. He will keep you. The Lord will keep you every moment. But maybe you are thinking it doesn't always feel like it. Maybe the dangers you see, you, you see in this new year, maybe the unknowns, maybe the fears you have, the the troubles you may be experiencing even now seem so overwhelming. Well, the encourager knows this, and he, too, and so he continues in verses 5 and 6. He says, The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. And here we come then to our, our second point, where we see another aspect of the Lord's keeping of his people. He will not only keep them every moment. No, but he will also keep and protect them unrelentingly in the midst of every danger. Now, now again, that might sound almost the same as the last point, but it has a different emphasis. If, if, if we can look at it this way, the, 
The first verses 3 and 4 were, were about the constancy of, of God's care. But, but verses 5 and 6 are about more the, the, the sufficiency, the success of God's care. His care is unrelenting in every situation and in every single challenge that God's people face. You see, he himself, he himself stays with you. The Lord is your keeper, and he doesn't keep or care, you, care for you from a distance. It's not, it's not like, you know, you can get remote cameras where, you know, you may have a house somewhere, and you, you, can, you can put a camera in your house, and you can be in another house, and you can, you can be seeing what's going on in that house. That's not how God cares or keeps his people. He doesn't care or keep, keep them remotely. No, no, he himself is their shade. He is thy shade upon thy right hand. Oh, what a beautiful picture of God's unrelenting protection in every situation. You see, shade, what does shade do, children? Well, shade protects us, doesn't it, from, from the, the, the heat and the harmful rays of the sun. Maybe you remember in the summertime how hot it was and, and how when you would be playing outside there would be a time where you needed to go, go, get, go into the shade because it was so hot and you needed to cool down and you needed protection. That's what the Lord is for his people. He is our shade. He is our protection. And maybe you ask, protection from what? Protection really from all in the context of the psalm, it was protection from anything that would keep the pilgrim from going and making it to the Lord's house in Jerusalem. And that's, that's a picture you see that, of God's protection for his people spiritually. That God will protect his people from all that would keep them from coming into heaven, into Zion. And so that doesn't mean, we shouldn't read this and understand it to mean that the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand that, that we're to be protected from suffering. But what it means is that our suffering, the suffering of God's people, cannot ultimately harm us. Because we have a protection. That's the difference, congregation, between the suffering of a child of God and the suffering of one who is not a child of God. That's the difference between anything in, in the child of God versus one who is not. You see, if you are a child of God, you have shade. You have protection in your suffering. But if you are not, you have no shade. And what does that mean? That means you are exposed. And you ask, well, I'm exposed to what? What is it that keeps people out of heaven? It's the burning wrath of God against sin. That's what one who is not a child of God is exposed to. Because they are we are in ourselves sinners and, and God is holy and we need our sins and forgiven and cleansed. And so a tr one who is not a believer, one who is not on that journey, and I don't know, I don't know all of you here tonight or this morning, but if you are not on this journey, I, I, I ask your attention to this. If you are not on this journey, you have no protection, you have no shade. You are exposed to the wrath of God. And there's no shelter you can build. There's no shelter you can build to hide under for protection. But there is one shelter. There is one shelter that is already built. 
It's been built by God himself. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the shade. He is the shelter that you can run to. You see, you see, that's what the text is saying. It's saying the Lord himself is his shade. Christ Jesus, the Lord of glory, came to this earth and exposed himself, you see, to the burning wrath of God on the cross. He took God's wrath on himself until it was fully spent in the place of every sinner who calls, who believes on him and trusts in him for salvation so that they may have that protection, that they might have that promise and that guarantee that they, they will make it. They will make it to that celestial city. Well, then if you are not yet on this journey, I, I urge you all to come, to join, join with God's people, to come and run to the Lord Jesus Christ and find shelter, find shelter under the shadow of his wings. You see, then you will have the Lord as a shade that will never fail you because he is your shade at your right hand. That means the Lord stays with you as your shade at all times. Your personal, personal shade. The Christian then, in suffering and in in all of his life, can know that he will never be exposed. Even in his suffering, he is never exposed to the condemning wrath of God, but only, always, to the love of God. Yes, it it may be tough love. It may be chastening love. It may be sanctifying. It will certainly be sanctifying love. But it will be the love of God the protection of God. Are you here today in need of this comfort also as we begin a new year? The comfort knowing to know that the Lord, your keeper and your shade stays with you. Oh, beloved, it's a comfort that is freely given. It's freely given in and through Christ Jesus. What reason then to trust him and what reason to, to, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, which is nothing compared to the cross that he bore to take up our cross and to follow him to keep going in faith and in perseverance the Lord stays with you and he will also therefore protect and defend you without fail that's, that's the point of verse 6 the sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night it's a picture congregation of God's total unrelenting successful protection on the journey It means that no matter what situation you are in, no matter what challenges you may face this coming year, the Lord will keep you. He will not let anything prevent His people, His people, from arriving safely home. When I prepared this sermon, I couldn't help but wonder if Paul wrote Romans 8 after reading Psalm 121, especially verses 35 to 39, those Familiar verses to many of us. They they reflect so perfectly what Psalm 121 is telling us. Listen to those verses, Romans, Romans 8, 35 to 39. Paul is addressing believers here. He says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, 
And here notice that Paul recognizes that the Christians do suffer. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other, nor, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why was Paul so persuaded of that? It's because he believed God's word, that the Lord keeps his people. Every single one of them, every moment, and unrelentingly. Do you believe it? Well, then don't we have every reason to praise God with the psalmist? In Psalm 84, when he sings, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, or some translations put it, in whose heart is set on pilgrimage, who passing through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, make it a well. The rain also fills it with pools. They go from strength to strength, Everyone appears in Zion before God. That's the hope that the believer may have, congregation. And should in Psalm 121, with its insistent reminder, the Lord is your keeper, help you to live that way more consistently, to live in that hope also in this new year? Oh, if we did, then, and who knows, perhaps more, more people would join us on our pilgrimage to heaven because they would see the greatness of our God. They would hear us testifying of the greatness of our God, of his constant, unrelenting care. Wouldn't that be wonderful if more people came and joined us on our our journey to heaven? Wouldn't that be so God-honoring? And yet you may be here this morning and you are still down, you are still discouraged, you are still depressed. You're still tempted to doubt God's care over all of your life. What about this? What about that? Well, let's consider then from Mr. Encourager, our third and last point. The Lord will keep you fully, fully and forever. Look with me here at verses 7 and 8. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So verses 3 and 4 were about the the constancy of God's care. And and verses 5 and 6 were about the the sufficiency, the, the, the success of God's keeping care. Now verses 7 and 8, they they build on both of these ideas so that the idea is really the, the comprehensiveness, the extent, the bigness of God's care. You see, the first part of verse 7 says, the the Lord shall preserve thee from what? What does it say? From some evil? No. It says from all evil. Remember that word preserve is the same word translated keep in the verses before. And so here's the promise. The Lord will keep you from all harm. 
He will keep and protect you, in other words, from all that would seek to snatch you out of His hand. It's not a promise. Again, congregation, it's not a promise of never any sickness or never any suffering in this life. No, no, it's far bigger than that. In the words of Lord's Day 9 of the, the Heidelberg Catechism, it's a promise that He will make whatever evils He sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage. For He is able to do it, being Almighty God, and He is willing, being a faithful Father. You see what a big promise is in that verse. It shows us how big, how great a God the Lord is. Nothing is too hard for Him. And doesn't that help you then to trust Him? To trust Him even as you look into this year and the way seems dark. Even, even as you look and you see the storms on the horizon. Even when in this year to come you may experience times when your heart is breaking. When you can hardly see through your tears. Even when God calls you to suffer for his sake, when he calls you to deny yourself and to take up your cross and to follow him, and when that's so painful to do, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Yes, even the evil that perhaps someone here is dealing with right now. But even a promise that big is still not big enough to describe God's keeping. The Lord not only shall preserve you from all evil, He also shall preserve or keep your soul. Now here we have to be careful, congregation. Because when we see the word soul, we often think of just that spiritual part of us, that the part that when we, we die, when our bodies go into the grave, that part, it's the part that goes, goes to heaven or, or to hell. But that's not what the word means. The word literally means life. It's a reference here then to our, our whole being, soul and body. And this makes the promise to you so much richer, dear believer. Because it's saying then that God will keep your life. God will keep you. God will watch over and care for you, soul and body. You see, He made your body. Your body matters to God just as much as your soul. And then he will keep, therefore, and protect and guard your whole being. And if you are trusting in him this morning for salvation from your sins, then your comfort in life and death is this, that you, with body and soul, belong, belong, both in life and in death, unto your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood not only, not only has fully satisfied for all your sins and delivered you from all the power of the devil, but also, but also so preserves you that without the will of our Heavenly Father, not a hair, not a hair. How many hairs are here tonight, this morning? Not a hair can fall from your heads because they are all numbered. And if he wills to let a hair fall, or if he wills that your body or your mind suffers greatly from sickness or pain or from persecution, then you can remember that that apparent, even that apparent evil will turn out to be for your good, for your profit. Even though you may not be able to see how, you may not be able to know and understand how, it will be because God has promised to preserve you. To turn all things for good, to conform you to the image of Christ. And even if he wills that this year, 
you should die, dear believer. If he wills that your body should be put in the ground, even if he wills that that body should lay in the grave for hundreds of years, God will not forget about it. God will keep it. He will watch over it. And one day he will raise it and transform it and reunite it with your soul so that you will be with him forever, body and soul. The Lord will keep your soul. He will keep your life. He will keep your whole being. And so as you travel on the journey, you can know, I, by the grace and the mercy of God, the Lord will keep me. I'm going, I'm going to get there. Each one appears before God. In Zion. God's keeping care is so comprehensive. It's so big, isn't it? Who can compare to him? But just to remove any more doubt, the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to pen one more verse. Verse 8. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. What does that mean? Well, going out and coming in, congregation, is simply an expression, meaning, meaning in all your activity, in everything that you are called to do, as you journey toward the home that Christ is preparing for you, the Lord will keep you in everything, in big things and in small things, in prosperity and in adversity, even in the mundane and the routine things of life that you are called to do, the Lord will keep you. He will keep you fully from this time forth, now, in the present. He is caring for his people. He is caring for each of you who are trusting in him, who are walking on that way to the celestial city. He is caring for you even right now at this very moment. So that means that whatever your burden is, whatever it is today or whatever it will be in the coming year, you can cast it onto him because he cares for you. And he will sustain you. He will keep you fully. And yes, he will keep you forever. That's the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. It's a comfort even in death. As you go out of this life and you come into the next, the going out and that coming in, the Lord will be your keeper even then. And forever. Well, in the beginning of the sermon congregation, I, I mentioned that Psalm 121 seems to have two speakers. You have that person, in that pilgrim in verses 1 and 2, looking ahead on his pilgrimage, maybe anxiously, maybe fearfully, yet confessing his help comes from the Lord. And then you have Mr. Encourager, that, that encourager speaking in verses 3 to 8, encouraging the pilgrim, reminding him and encouraging him in, the, encouraging him in this great truth that the Lord is your keeper. That's the encouragement the word of God brings to God's people this morning, also for 2023. But I also want to think about that, that there was an encourager for that pilgrim. I hope that happens here. I hope that happens among us as a congregation. That, that others encourage you, and that you encourage others in their walk with the Lord. But ultimately, ultimately the one who is the encourager congregation, who do you think he is? He's Jesus Christ, our great high priest, our forerunner. 
It's He who is promising you, dear believer, whether you're young or whether you're old, that the Lord will keep you. He is your keeper. Because you see, Jesus, for all who are on this pilgrimage, He died for you. That's why this encouragement is so encouraging. Because He Himself is the one who says these words, and He has promised in His own word that He will not lose any of those whom the Father has given Him. He is devoted. He is devoted. The Lord is devoted to keeping His people. And because of that, shouldn't you, dear brother and sister, or sister in Jesus Christ, shouldn't we, as believers, be devoted, be devoted this year also to Him. I want to close by sharing a poem with you written by a man named John Milne. John Milne was a Scottish minister in the 1800s. He was a friend of men like Andrew and Horatius Bonar and, and Robert Murray McChain. And he, he went through many different sufferings, difficult sufferings in his life. And he experienced God's keeping care in the midst of it all. But, but it wasn't easy. He, he needed this encouragement. And, and, and one time he wrote a poem to encourage himself and to encourage other struggling believers. And so I want to close with a few verses from it. And each of the verses ends with the refrain, He cares for you. And that doesn't mean just that, he has a, that the Lord has a soft spot. That He feels for you. No, it, it, it's... He keeps you. He, he's guarding you. He's protecting you. The poem goes like this. Beloved of Jesus, whence your fear, your frequent sigh, your dropping tear? Should not this thought your spirit cheer? He cares for you. Your way, I know, is strange and new. Your dear one's gone. Your helper's few. But still this word remaineth true. He cares for you. Your work is great. Your work is great. Your strength is small. And thoughts of failure on you fall. But in your weakness on him call. He cares for you. He goes with you, your steps to guide, your wounds to heal, your sins to hide. Then call on him, whate'er betide, he cares for you. His love, how great no tongue can tell, he died to save your soul from hell. No wife, nor mother loves so well, he cares for you. So beloved of Jesus, Trust him still, your lot to choose, your cup to fill. Let no dark thoughts your spirit chill. He cares for you. The Lord is your keeper. Amen.